Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada, with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our current series on the book of Ruth, Finding God in the Disappointments and Losses of Life, looking at a message entitled, Serving a God Who Watches Over Us. So let's turn now to Ruth chapter 2, verses 10 to 16, as we begin. Annie Johnson Flint, a woman who lived from 1866 to 1932 in New Jersey, lived a life of heartbreak. Her mother died when Annie was just three years old. And since her dad, Mr. Johnson, was then suffering from an incurable disease, he willed Annie and her infant sister to the Flint family. The Flints were strong believers, and Annie gave her life to Christ at the age of eight. And when she was a young woman, a severe arthritis began to show itself. Annie became steadily worse, and she was put into a wheelchair and was unable to work. Her adoptive parents then died within a few months of each other, and having now been orphaned twice, she was without money and left in a wheelchair unable to care for herself. She was placed in a sanatorium where she would live out the rest of her life. But Annie's life was anything but a tragedy, but rather one of great victory, for she never failed to see that while God's providential hand had brought her, well, what we might call to the place of heartbreak, that this was a loving sovereignty. And so in her loneliness and long hours of suffering, Annie Johnson Flint started to write, and she was very gifted. First, they were hand-lettered cards, and then gift books, and then poems that were published, and then amazingly, countless letters came back to her from people she had never met, who had been ministered to by what she had written, and who had taken courage in Christ. And then some of what she wrote was put to music into the form of hymns to direct the worship of countless churches. Her best-known hymn, one that so accurately portrayed her own experience, went as follows. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strengths when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed here, the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Can you imagine a woman in a wheelchair since she was young, racked by the pain of arthritis, overwhelmed with God's kindness and the infinite riches of God that has been poured out into her life? I think that Ruth in the book of Ruth and Annie Flint Johnson would have loved each other. When Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, came back to Bethlehem, she was consumed with sorrow and an innate sense of loss of all the things that she could have had but now had been taken away from her. And Ruth, who had also suffered the loss of her husband, her family, and her culture, went into the barley fields to work, a work that would have earned so little she could hardly care for her needs and that of her bitter mother-in-law. And yet, her trust in God is overwhelming. Now hold on to that thought for just a moment, because I'm going to combine that with another thought. I wonder how you feel when you hear that God never takes his eye off of you, even for a moment. David in Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. 
Indeed, that Psalm of David, Psalm 139, goes on to describe how it is impossible to flee from God's presence, who continues to see and takes note of even the slightest thing we do. He never ceases looking. Do you like that feeling? When he started to suffer, I'm pretty sure Job didn't. In Job 7, verse 20, Job calls God, you watcher of mankind. In that passage, as Job suffers, he asks God why he has made him his mark, or as we might put it, his target. Why did you put a bullseye on me and then shoot at me until I suffer as I now do, he asks. Indeed, Job wants to know why, God, won't you look away from me even for a moment, he says, just long enough so I can swallow my spit. Job feels the relentless gaze of God and so wishes to be out from under it. The more God looks, the more Job seems to suffer. And yet in Psalm 139, the constant watching of God leaves David with feelings of pleasure. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He absolutely revels in the constant gaze of God. Now, how about you? Do you like it when you think God is there taking note of your rising in the day and your falling asleep at night and every significant and insignificant moment? I think if you had asked Naomi if she liked it, she would have said no. And if you had asked Ruth, she would have said yes. I love the thought that his gaze never leaves me. Someone has said, how you feel about God, the watcher of mankind, depends on whether you're doing something wrong or not, or whether you're suffering or not, perhaps, but perhaps not. Now, I'm going to come back to that. I've entitled my address today, Serving the God Who Watches Us. We left our study of Ruth yesterday with a description of Ruth, one of the poor of the land, gleaning in the fields behind the harvesters, beginning to see a glimmer that the God she had come to love was not a God of meager resources, but one who is lavish in his care for his children, and he watches them. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Ruth has gone out to glean in the fields, and at random she ends up in the field of Boaz, a relative of her dead husband, who comes to her as she's working in the field and offers her a stable income and safety and a place of belonging among the people of God. That was quite an unexpected event. But Ruth would have said, God is watching me. But the lavishness of God towards this woman has only begun. God will not take his eye off of Ruth. After Boaz has made his offer, he adds that she is welcome to help herself to the water supply, a very precious commodity indeed. Now let's pick up where that dialogue ended. Ruth 2, 10 to 11 says, Then she, that is Ruth, that is after Boaz offered her so much, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. See, in some ways, Boaz represents the attitude of God. He's been watching Ruth. Now, of course, Boaz hasn't watched her, but he did pay attention to what everyone was saying in Bethlehem. He is completely aware of who this woman is and what she's done. And there's something in Boaz's words that catch my attention. Boaz uses words that are very similar to those words found in Genesis 12, verse 1. Like Abraham, Ruth has left her land, her country, her relatives, her pagan gods, and has set out to the land that God has shown her. Boaz recognizes her journey as a sacred pilgrimage, and he's moved by the story of a Moabite woman who seems so much like Abraham, the father and founder of his own faith. 
In some way, what her story produces in him is like the reaction I feel when I attend a baptism and and hear the stories of people who have come to faith. Their testimony is their pilgrimage, and you and I should feel an immediate attachment to the people being baptized. Their story reminds me of my own and what I found in Jesus, my Redeemer. I once heard the conversion testimony of a Russian woman. Since I understand no Russian and she understood no English, she told me her story through a translator. And I had told her mine. And she said, why can't you understand me? You're my family. Well, that's exactly right. You can go around the world and find the stories of people who have been found by Jesus, and you will instantly feel a connection with them. And that's profound. And that's what Boaz must have felt when he heard of Ruth. And we're going to see that in this encounter between them, that it's not a physical attraction that drew him to her, but the heart of a man who knows God encountering a woman from an idolatrous people who also knows his God. That's why his heart is moved. And so he says in verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, please notice that Boaz is not saying that God now owes Ruth something as if Ruth has done something for God. She hasn't, but she has done something for her mother-in-law. And the reason she's out there gleaning in the field and not reaping the benefits of her life in Moab is because of her commitment to Naomi. And Boaz knows this. And he says, God has been watching and he will not allow what he has seen to go unrewarded. As we study this encounter, I want us to notice four things we discover in this passage, and here's the first of them. God rewards those he watches. It's a good thing to be watched by God. See, when we come back, we'll notice not only God's reward, but we're going to notice three important things about the rich generosity of God toward all his children. But before we break, let me say this. I think it's important for all of us who have encountered loss to be aware of and to count on the rich generosity of God. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let's be content with the God who loves to give to his children. When we unpack the story of Ruth and her life as a foreigner in Israel, we really begin to see that this is a story that is deeply rooted in her relationship with God. This introduction has given us a better insight into how much he was working in her life to ensure her survival. But not only that, to grant her blessing in so many areas. After the break, we'll explore the other ways that God watched over Ruth and how we can apply it to our own walk with Jesus. Twelve days, eight by land and four by sea, touring some of the most incredible New Testament sites, including Athens, Ephesus, Patmos, and many more during our upcoming New Testament Greece by land and by sea tour. This trip is designed to inspire, to instruct, and renew your walk with Christ. So consider joining us along with Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, Shane and Angela Weeb, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team this April 24th to May 5th. Space is very limited, so consider joining us today. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. I wonder if Boaz knew that Ruth might feel tempted to think about all that she had lost, her country, her family, her language, and an easy acceptance in her culture. 
Those of you who are immigrants understand how disorienting a new culture can be. Perhaps as time went on, Ruth would feel her losses more keenly. But Boaz also knew that God is no man's debtor. He knew that whatever she had given up is more than richly compensated by a God whose resources know no end. I remember when God called me in a pastoral ministry. I knew that I would never inherit the family farm. I loved the farming life, and I loved the financial advantages that could potentially come to me as a result of it. But I claimed a promise from Mark 10, 29-30. In that passage, Jesus makes a promise regarding his generosity. He says, There is no one who has left house, or brothers or sisters, or mother or father, or children or lands, for my sake or for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Here's my testimony regarding that promise. I don't think I ever sacrificed a thing for God. Rather, I think I invested into the bank of heaven with its hundredfold return. Now, you might say, but how were you rewarded? Well, let me tell you a story. Years ago, I was sitting at the bedside of a dying woman. Her last words to me were these, thank you for bringing my daughter to Christ. I can now die in peace. You know, when I left that hospital that day, I remember thinking, I don't know what they pay in other professions. I just know very few people who have received that kind of a paycheck. I felt so rich, so full, so like my life really mattered so much that I was not living in vain, that I had the privilege of doing eternal work. I've been called to work of eternal significance. No, there's nothing on that farm that would have paid that out, believe me. And that's what Ruth's testimony sounded like, the very testimony of people who had believed in the promises of God. Let's read Ruth 2, verse 12. It's still Boaz speaking. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love that phrase, the wings of God. Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson would write these words many years later. I'm reading from Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. The idea is that not only does God notice and provide and reward, but in the day of storms, like an eagle stretched her wings over her young, so God does with us. God protects those he watches. You know, Ruth is dumbfounded. Verse 13 reads, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Now, verse 13 literally reads, You have spoken my heart. Now, that could mean you have spoken to my heart, which is how the ESV translation understands it. You have comforted me. But she might also be saying, You have spoken the very things my heart speaks. So then the verse could read, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, because you have the same heart for God that I have. Here's my soulmate. But even if she says that, this is not the language of romantic love. She adds, you have spoken kindly to your servant. In the Hebrew, there are in fact two words for servant. The one being the word ama, which is the kind of a servant who is capable of rising to becoming a wife. But Ruth does not see this at all. She calls herself a shifka, which is the lowest slave on the social scale, a slave with no prospects for any future advancement. She's an unworthy slave. Now, please don't think she has low self-esteem. She knows who she is. She's a Moabite who is excluded from the assembly of Israel. 
and she has found grace. She's overwhelmed with the kindness of Boaz and the kindness of God. By the way, until you and I can identify ourselves as sinners, undeserving of any mercy, we will never see grace. Until you see how vile and radical is your sin nature, you'll never be overwhelmed when grace actually comes. A number of years ago, I had a very well-known pastor and theologian speaking from my pulpit, and some people were shocked to hear him define himself as so sinful, he said he has never known a moment when all his actions were not tinged by sin. He said he sinned constantly. Now, he wasn't saying he was committing adultery or that his basement was a secret graveyard for his murder victims. He was saying that every good deed he did came tinged with self-seeking motives that were deeply hateful to God, and that in spite of this, God was pouring out kindness on him and using his feeble efforts for his glory. That was both his self-perception and his perception of the generosity of God. In essence, that is Ruth. She expects no great recognition or reward from God for her commitment to Naomi, nor in her commitment to the God of Israel. She knows who she is. But to her amazement, she can see that God notices her and God is determined to protect her. Let's read verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. We can see that Boaz now offers her even more. In verse 14, he offers her a place at his table, a place where his friends sat. It's likely at this time that Ruth had not had a proper meal in some time, and here she sits in a place of honor, eating until she is satisfied. Indeed, for a long time, she had more than she could eat. And that's just like God. It's not enough that we're offered protection and provision and rewards. God is interested in something much greater. He is interested in offering us himself. You see, God befriends us. I can think of no greater reward than to be called a friend of God, that the creator of all things would condescend to commune with me, that Jesus would invite me to his table and say to me, John, sit with me a while. You see, when finally I see that the great reward I seek is not the reward of the things that God gives, but God himself, to say with David, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper says that he wants to stand on top of the tallest building in New York and shout, hedonistic America, you are not nearly hedonistic enough. You've chosen the short-term pleasures of money and sex and other things, short-term pleasures that often carry with them great long-term pain, when the greatest pleasure of all, the eternal pleasure of knowing God lay before you and you would not have it. You are not nearly hedonistic enough. Now, perhaps that's you. Perhaps you spent your lifetime pursuing short-term riches, so you can't even recognize the riches of God's grace. Now is the time to open our eyes and embrace true life, a life lived by faith, because if you do, you will see. See, we have been given more than enough. Ruth 2, 15 to 16 reads, Then she rose to glean, and Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. I love the way the beginning of verse 16 reads in the Hebrew. Boaz tells his reapers to plunder their bundles of grain. 
In a moment, Boaz elevates her status. While she is the most unworthy of slaves, she is no longer just a gleaner. But she has become more than a worker, for a worker would only receive pay for the work done. They would not keep what they reaped. In some ways, he made her income level even above his very own because with the grain reaped, Boaz would have overhead to pay for all the workers, but Ruth could walk right among the reapers and they would work for her. I wonder, do you believe that his grace has no measure? Does serving the God who watches leave you breathless with his giving? Or are you still believing in a God who begrudgingly gives? Stay with me tomorrow as we follow the tale of a woman and her remarkable God, a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. John, what a great message again about how God provides. And you know, some of us though can become very concerned about our return on the investment that we make, uh, what we're going to get out of what we give God or do for God. But Ruth didn't seem to know anything about that. She didn't have a sense of entitlement. Yeah, I think there are two things in what you say, Ben. I mean, one is that Ruth really doesn't offer God anything. I know that she offers her mother-in-law something, and God notices and responds in kind, but Ruth doesn't bring anything to the table for God. And then the other thing, of course, is Ruth is overwhelmed by every act of grace. So entitlement, I think, is a great word. Uh, Because as long as we think that there are certain things that we're entitled to, we'll, I think, only be angry with God. You didn't give me what I thought I should get or what I deserve, that kind of a thing. Uh, But I think that our attitude should really be one of overwhelmed with the kindness of God. And when we put ourselves into the place of a servant as Ruth does, I think we're going to find that God is more gracious than we ever imagined. So here's a question. Where do you think we get these sort of false expectations about what we deserve? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, part of the answer might be it's simply a part of the culture that we live in. I mean, our culture is an entitlement-based culture, and I think also we underestimate the enormity of our sin. And so I think at that time we kind of view ourselves as entitled because we think we're better than we actually are. I do think that when we see our sin as it truly is seen by God, we will be overwhelmed when God offers us his grace, his love, his friendship, his welcoming into his community. I mean, all that stuff is overwhelming when we recognize that we don't deserve any of it. Thanks, John, and return again tomorrow to hear more from Back to the Bible Canada. Have you grasped these deep truths about God for yourself? These may seem like such basic truths, but they're so important. God is our protector, our ultimate treasure, our friend, despite the reality of who we are as depraved and fallen people. I hope that today's message has blessed and convicted you to know more deeply this all-sufficient and loving God, and with that, to strive to serve Him wherever He has called us. Listen in tomorrow as Dr. Newfeld looks at what Ruth shows us about the kinsman redeemer. By becoming a Back to the Bible Canada monthly partner, you join an essential group of ministry friends who represent the very backbone of this ministry. Your monthly gifts sustain our daily program, allow us to make our Bible teaching program available without restriction across Canada, in fact, around the world online through podcast, audio mail, or mobile app, and because of your support, it's made available for free. 
and don't underestimate the importance and impact on the spiritual journey of people of all ages and backgrounds. So become a monthly partner today by responding to our Partner to Tell campaign. You can do so by calling 1-800-663-2425 or join us online at backtothebible.ca.